not on vacation today, I might point out. Uh, so yesterday was the 4th of July. What'd you guys do? We talk, so you just got to know that. So what'd you guys do yesterday? Fireworks. How many of you watched fireworks somewhere, somehow last night? How many of you had a barbecue? Bar- you got to fire up a barbecue. What else do you do? Paddleboarding. Ooh, nice. Yesterday was a great day, right? So we did all the same stuff. My family, uh, I have four kids. I live up in Irvine, and so we have a great neighborhood street cul-de-sac thing happening. And so we went over to a friend's house and just did all that stuff, right? Barbecuing and kids, and, and it's chaos. I mean, it was crazy because between us, there's probably nine kids. And so a bunch of them are in the pool playing games that they create, right? Which is usually somehow throwing things at each other at high rates of speed and hoping you don't, like, somehow end up dying or knocking a tooth out and having to go... Uh, there's, there was a hummingbird disaster that happened yesterday. A little baby hummingbird fell out of a tree. And so all the girls were rallying around, right? Summer, my daughter's here. And just were nurturing this hummingbird back to life. I, I don't even know if it's still alive this morning. Um, so that's happening. And dogs are running through the house, wet dogs, because they jump in the pool and run everywhere. And hot dogs are being burned. And there's a fire on the grill. I mean, it's fantastic. And, but yesterday was the day that, like, my wife and I became those parents, and by that, what I mean is we all went over there, and one of the traditions that we're trying to instill in our kids at dinner is we play a little game called Bible Trivia. And so we have these flashcards, and so we're at the pool, all of this chaos is happening, and about every few minutes, all right, guys, are you ready for Bible Trivia? Fourth of July party, and of course, everybody's like, no, like, are you crazy? Like, hummingbirds are being, you know, mended back to life, and we're trying to kill each other in the pool. So let me give you a sample of Bible trivia. Let's see, uh, let's see how good you guys are. What do we call many of the stories that Jesus told to teach a lesson? See, you guys are, you're amazing at Bible trivia. And it's great because, you know, my wife's trying to sell this with, like, I've got Skittles and chocolate for people to get the right answers, and nobody cares. Like yesterday, trying to shut down a 4th of July party with Bible trivia, we became those parents on the block, which was fantastic. But all of you guys, I'm betting, you have some sort of memorable, uh, unmistakable parental wisdom that they tried to pass down for you. These things just get drilled into us, and you think, is this really true? Is this really, I mean, so don't run with scissors. Anybody ever hear that growing up? Teachers, parents, that kind of thing. You know, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you, see, you guys have heard these things. It's just true. Shut the door. You weren't born in a barn. See, you guys know these things. This is going to hurt me. Ah, oh, yes. We, we all have the same parents. I love this. This is great. Just one big family. If you don't have something nice to say, ah, yes, and fine, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never, so as we're going through these things, I was reflecting on those after I became that parent yesterday, and I'm thinking, is that really true, especially that last one, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, is that really true, and as I reflected on life, it's interesting, because how many of you have broken a bone? Lots of you guys, probably. Yeah, I mean, I've dislocated fingers, broken collarbones, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think about that too much. How many of you have ever had something painful said to you? My bet is you reflect on that more than you reflect on any of the physical pain that you've endured in your life. And maybe it was said to you as a child, maybe it was said to you last week, I don't know. But the bottom line is, even studies would say the emotional scarring from the words that people speak into our lives can be so much more damaging than any of the physical pain. So 
going through life, it becomes really, really, really critical to pay attention to the voices that we're listening to. Those voices are loud, and they speak into us, and they shape our identity, and they mold what we believe to be true about the world around us, and most importantly, about our own identity. So the question this morning is, who are you listening to, and what are they saying to you? Who are you listening to? And what are they saying to you about who you are, about who the world is? And that's why I love the series that we're going through and how important it is that that God's voice becomes the loudest, most dominant voice in our lives. The verse that's kind of stamping this journey for us is John 10, 27. My sheep, God's sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's about recognizing, listening to God's voice. And you learned in the first week with Jeff that, you know, we're, we're sheep. Not so impressive, right, in terms of the animal kingdom, but yet there's one skill that they possess, which God wants us to emulate, which is they listen and they follow. And the shepherd provides and takes care of them. It's just a beautiful picture. God is saying, I know you. And when he knows you, he knows everything about you. He created you. He designed you. He's the one who wants to speak the truth into your life that really forms and shapes your identity. And then we get to decide how we're going to follow. And that's what we've been talking about these past few weeks, right? About journaling, about listening to God's word, the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's gift to us. When we say, yes, God, I want to follow you. When we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, that he is your son. When we step into that truth, God speaks directly to us. And as mysterious as that sounds for all of us, the other thing we know to be true is that God speaks through people. God affirms what he's saying. The words that people speak into our lives are powerful. And that's what we're going to reflect on today. That mystery that God gives everybody the opportunity to speak into other people's lives, to pursue the kind of wisdom that he wants for us to have as we walk through this world. So let me ask you a question. Um, How many of you consider yourselves to be good listeners? That's about half, maybe a little more. I'm going to validate this with your spouse or with your friends afterwards, so we'll just take a little quiz just to really see how many of you are good listeners. So I I don't think I'm a very good listener. I know that to be true. And my wife and I, we laugh and we talk about this all the time. So you can speak, the average person speaks at about 150 words per minute. You can listen on average at about 450 words per minute. So anybody ever find that your mind is way ahead of where somebody is with their words? Are you finishing sentences for people before they've even expressed them? Are you maybe asking questions? Are you the person in the movie that's going, well, what's going to happen now? Or you're predicting the future? Anybody sit in movies with people like that? And it's like, what's happening? That's because you can listen so much faster than somebody can talk. And sometimes we get ahead of people, but other times we don't want to listen to other people. Is that you? Sometimes we know what someone is going to say, and we just don't want to hear it. So we decide that we're just going to shut that door, and we're not going to pay any attention to to it. Sometimes we're willing to pay people a lot of money to speak truth into our lives. We seek and pursue wisdom. We'll pursue tutoring for ourselves, for our kids, to make sure they become who they're called to be in terms of education. There's all kinds of sports training that takes place every year at the beginning of the year, right? We're all going to get in shape, and so what do we do? We'll go pay somebody to help show us what it looks like to become who we're called to be physically. Counseling. 
We hit desperate places in our lives and we're like, I got to go. And sometimes counseling is what? You just sit there and speak and they just listen. And somehow that's therapeutic, right? And other times they're just doing what? Asking questions. Is anybody frustrated that counselors rarely actually give advice or wisdom? Like, you're like, I'm paying a lot of money for this, and you're just asking me questions? You're supposed to tell me things that's going to make me all better. So sometimes we don't want to listen to what people have to say. Other times we're willing to pay a lot of money for what people have to say. But here's what we know. All wisdom is from God. If it's wise, and it's going to help us become who we're called to be, to restore the identity that God built into us from the very beginning, all wisdom comes from God. And the other thing we know is wise people pursue wisdom through other wise people. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise, they listen to advice. Foolish people try and walk through life alone. Foolish people think that you can make it through this world on your own. Wise people are constantly looking for other wise people to speak into their life and their journey. So the question is, where in your life do you need wisdom this morning? Where in your life are you facing a situation, a circumstance, a decision point that feels overly complex and you just can't find your way through? Maybe there's a relationship that seems overwhelming and you've never quite figured out a way to crack the code to be on the same page and move forward. Maybe you're wondering what to do with your kids or with your spouse or with your teachers or with a job decision. Should I move or should I stay? Where in your life do you need to listen to wisdom this morning? And are you willing to listen to other people? Are you willing to let God speak through those around you to help bring the wise counsel into your life to find your way forward? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, this morning we um, have already been singing and reflecting and driving the truth of who you are into our hearts and souls and minds, that you're good, that you're present, that you're faithful, that you are strong. God, that there is nothing in this world that surprises you, that you cannot lead us through. And so this morning as we gather and sit in your presence as your children, I pray that you would help us to listen to your voice. I pray that your voice would become the loudest voice in our life. I pray that you would help every single one of us to become willing to listen to you and to pursue your wisdom even through one another. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You can uh, take out your Bible if you've got it. Maybe it's digital. Uh, and you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, there's an outline uh, in your bulletin as well if you want to follow along. I even did a couple little blank, fill in the blanks for you guys this weekend. I feel like I'll, I'm doing my best to help you listen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so 1 Kings chapter 12 is where we're going to spend some time. I'll give you a little context as you're flipping to it. This is a great Old Testament story about what it looks like to seek and listen to wisdom. 
Uh, kings in the Old Testament. You may be thinking, well, wait, I thought Jesus was the king. That's true. Old Testament is prior to Jesus coming. So what happened was God showed up with his people and establishes the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. And he says, I'll be your God. You will be my people. You'll be a light to all the nations. I will bless the world through you. And this is great, but the people... They started looking at all of the other nations, all of the other people, because they had a tangible king, a present physical presence. And they were saying, God, this is wonderful, this whole mysterious thing with you, but yet we need a king. Give us a king. So God finally says, okay, and he gives them the first king. Who knows who the first king of Israel was? Saul. That's right. Well done. I feel like we have Skittles or chocolate or something for you. I feel like Bible trivia is, is happening right now. So Saul is the first king of Israel. And he does great for a while, but then he comes jealous, and you know every king sort of starts to have some issues. He had his. So David is the one who comes in as the second king, probably one of the most famous kings of Israel, right? The man after God's own heart. But David had his issues as he went through life too, even David. So the next king after David was his son Solomon. Solomon, the Bible tells us, is the wisest man ever. Solomon, God comes to Solomon. Imagine this. God, the creator of the universe, comes to you and says, I will give you anything you pray for. What do you want? I mean, come on. I want to live where DK was yesterday, right? Where I get to see the entire coastline and all the fireworks. I want to have everything. I just, but Solomon says, no, I want all the wisdom. God, give me wisdom and understanding. So Solomon's the wisest person. All those Proverbs you read, Ecclesiastes, that's him. He was brilliant. So after Solomon dies... Uh, Israel did pretty well under those guys. But then his son, Rehoboam, takes over. And this is where it becomes a real decision point and what happens with the kingdom of Israel at this point. So Solomon dies. Things start to go bad. Rehoboam succeeds as king. And that's where we pick the story up. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. Your father, Solomon. There's a bunch of people, Jeroboam, and all the nation of Israel is coming to Rehoboam, and here's what they're saying. Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten this harsh labor and this heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam, let's just call him Ray from now on. That's a long name, King Ray. Everybody say, King Ray. King Ray answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people, they went away. So we get these people, this entire nation coming and saying, listen. Solomon, while he may have been wise and awesome, he exhausted us. He was killing us because he built this amazing kingdom, one of the most spectacular kingdoms. And where do you think he got all the labor? It was the people. So they're saying, listen, just lighten up now. Give us a break. We've been at this hard for the past 40 years as he's been king. Let us take a breath. We need to take a breath and we will follow you. We'll We'll serve you. And King Ray's pretty smart, at least right off the bat, right? The first thing he says is, go away. Give me some time. When you hit big decision points in your life, right, you don't want to make just a spontaneous decision. He says, hey, wait, let's take a few days. I mean, it seems like, hey, he's getting it right. Good for him. Let's take a few days. I don't just want to go with my gut. Let's reflect on this. Verse 6, then King Ray consulted the elders, good for him, who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So King Ray's doing pretty well so far. First thing is, let's take some time. Second thing is, he goes to seek wise counsel. 
He's looking for wisdom in other people. And he goes to these older guys. These are the guys that served with, walked alongside, knew the wisest person that ever lived. They would know some stuff, right? Because from the time our kids are kids, we start telling them, choose your friends wisely. Because you kind of become like the people you hang around. These guys had hung around the wisest man ever. And so King Ray goes to them and he says, hey, you know, this is what the people are saying. What should I do? And they say, well, it's obvious. You need to serve the people. You need to listen to them. Lighten the load. They will serve you forever. And here's what's interesting. All these leadership and management books these days, they're just ripping this whole servant leadership off. They're ripping the Bible off all the time. Because they would say things like culture trumps vision. How the community is, it will overwhelm the vision of any organization over time. And that's basically what they're saying to him. They're saying, hey, care for the people. Serve the people. It's the posture that a leader, that a wise person, a follower of Jesus, a person molded in the image of God, this is who you want to be. This is what will create longevity. Choose the long run over the short run. This is the wisdom these guys are giving him. So in verse 8, King Ray rejects the advice of the elders and consults the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Now, these guys, most scholars say, are probably somewhere between the age of like 20 and 40. So they're not kids, but they're not older, wiser people that had walked with Solomon. I mean, they're his peer group. They're more of an entourage than uh, wise counselors and elders. They're, they're around him and with him because he's the guy in power. He's just the one that grew up and it's like, hey, you were part of the right family. You got the right skills. I'm getting close to you because where you go, that's where I'm going. Because who were they serving? They were serving him. They're more Justin Bieber than Billy Graham. I mean, that's kind of the way it was. They're just, we're going somewhere with people. I'm with that guy. He gets me backstage. It's fantastic. So in verse 9, King Ray asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'm going to make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. What are they saying? Amp up. Power up. You can't let these people create an insurgence. You can't give them what they want. You have to show them who's boss. You've got to take charge. Grab a hold of the situation. Be in control. You're the king. Tell them you got whipped before, and it's not like they're throwing scorpions at them. That's not the, they don't tie scorpions on whips. What happens is they would fray the edges of the whips and tie like rocks and glass and things like that, and that's what they're saying. You want pain? King Ray will create some pain. I'm about to bring the pain and show you what it looks like. That's what these guys are telling King Ray. Turn up the heat. So in verse 12, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to King Ray. As the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. King Ray returns to the people, rejects the advice 
of the elders who had walked with the wisest man on the planet, his father. And he takes the advice of his friends, his peers, his entourage, as opposed to them. And what happens from here on out is really sad. We still see the impact of it in today's world. The kingdom is split. A civil war takes place. These people, they go to the north. King Ray takes the south. Civil war ensues. It's the beginning of the end. They start being taken over by other nations and dominated, and eventually they end up in slavery in Egypt because of this decision. Seeking wise counsel and then not listening to it. And we read this story and you think, what an idiot. (laughs) What, What was he thinking? Like he had grown up in his father's house. He had been around his dad. He had been around these guys. And while they weren't perfect, he knew that God had granted his father his desire of being wise and understanding. And you think, how could he not do that? Who would do that? And the obvious answer is, you would do that. I would do that. We do this all the time. You see, we're like the kings of Orange County. We're like the kings of Orange County that start to grab and control. We start to think that we own it, and somehow we made this happen. We start to seek out our own kingdom as opposed to God's kingdom. We start to say, I have to put my power on display as opposed to God's power on display. We do this all the time. Why? Why? I think there's a couple reasons. I think the first one is we desire validation more than wisdom. We want people to affirm us more than we want them to sharpen us. We want people to appreciate and encourage who we are. We want them to affirm our choices rather than sharpen us or disagree with us. You ever found yourself asking the same question over and over to either the same person or to lots of different people? You go to one person and all of a sudden it doesn't work out quite the way you want, so it's like, I'm going to go talk to somebody else about this. And they give you the same advice. I'm going to go until finally you find the person who's willing to go, oh, thank you. See, I know. I sought wise counsel. I did what I was supposed to do, and they agreed. It's just letting you walk down the path that you want. You just want to find somebody who will agree with you, hoping that somebody will agree and give you favor. The second thing, I think, desiring validation over wisdom, the second thing is, oftentimes, we can hear wisdom as judgment. We can hear wisdom from people as judgment. And this is a big one for me. I grew up in in a real conservative household and a conservative church. And so in that, what things became for me were very black and white. The Bible was was more rule book than, than story, right? About God's love and redemption and these principles. It was really more about here's a bunch of black and white rules that you need to follow or not follow. And if you don't, You're going to be hated. God won't love you. People won't love you. The church certainly won't love you. And so things became right and wrong instead of wise or unwise. Anybody here kind of right and wrong people? I'm that guy, right? Let's just a moment of confession. Hi, my name's Kyle. I'm a legalist. Anybody else? So here's the thing. That was my story. Things became good and bad. 
And so therefore, I only wanted to step into things and I only wanted to seek counsel from people that would affirm my choices. And anytime they sharpened me or disagreed with me, I felt it was about me instead of the decision or the choice. I felt like I was being judged. I was a failure. I was small. It just bred insecurity in me. And so what happens? Either you stop asking or you only go to people that are going to say yes. And that's what happened to me. Over time, I, I recognized I would do that. And I'd seek wisdom from wise people, even people that were older. But after a period of time, this is probably 10 years ago, or so ago, I'm having a conversation with one of those guys who was kind of an older, wiser mentor. And finally, he just called me out and he said it this way. He said, Kyle, you hold your own counsel too high. And I was like, what do you mean by that? I feel judgment and, and all of a sudden, like I'm a failure. And he said, you should. And he said, you hold your own counsel too high. And he said, you know, for years you've walked with me, you've asked me questions, I've given you wisdom. And I said, and he said, but I've only seen you really go at the things that you have conviction for, the things where I was agreeing with you. But if you're really seeking my wisdom, my counsel, he goes, I've never seen you step over and just try something that I was suggesting to you as opposed to something that you had already decided you were going to do yourself. You're just looking for me to affirm and validate what you want. What are you afraid of? And that's where I started to unpack this in my life, and that whole black and white. So we kind of say it this way around Mariner's Church. In light of our past experiences, our present circumstances, and our future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Not the right thing. What's the wise thing? In light of my past experiences, the story that you grew up with, the voice that's in your head from your parents, your understanding of God and church and culture, in light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, those decisions that you're facing, the walls that you're up against, that you're trying to figure out how to go around or break through, and your future, your hopes and dreams, what God has put deep inside of you, in light of all of that, what's the wise thing for me to do? Not the right thing, the wise thing for me to do. You see, God designed us to hear from him, but also in the context of community and people around us. That's how our identity is actually restored. We're broken in community. We're broken and hurt by people around us. That's also how God heals us, is through people, by putting redemption and restoration on display. So which voices are you going to listen to? Those decisions that you're facing. How do you know? What does that look like? How do we discern right and wrong? There's just a couple of things, a couple warnings, which are on your outline. The first one, beware of voices that fan your fear. Beware of voices that fan your fear. Your fear of insecurity, your fear of losing power, losing position, losing esteem. Whenever those voices come in, you're going to lose something. Think about King Ray and those young advisors. We're serving you. These people, they'll start to walk away. You're going to lose power. You'll lose control. You'll lose your identity. You could lose your kingdom. Beware those voices because the bottom line is you should be willing to lose your kingdom for the sake of God's kingdom. It's not yours anyway. Beware of voices that fan your fear. I remember somebody... uh, five or so years ago, was talking to me. And even as a pastor leading a church, here's what's interesting. You can start to think that this is yours. You can start to think that somehow the church you're leading, the people, the story that God's writing, that somehow you're responsible for it. 
And he said this beautiful thing. He goes, Kyle, here's the thing. If you're ever putting your position, your hopes, your dreams above those of the community or the kingdom, you're in the wrong position. And it's the same thing is true, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your schooling, whether it's your business. If you're putting you above the sake of the community or God's kingdom, beware. Because those are voices that you are now afraid of losing what's not yours in the first place. Beware of voices that fan your fear. The second thing is beware of voices that fuel your ego. Beware of voices that fuel your ego. You start to hear the subtleties of, oh, they just don't appreciate you. You know, gosh, if only they really knew who you were and what you did, that would be important. Oh, yeah, that's right. They don't. Beware of voices that say, oh, they just don't understand you, how difficult it is. You're just not understood. You're alone. You're unique. Beware of voices that fuel your ego. Beware of voices that say, you deserve this. You just hear those threads, right, and those young advisors to King Ray. King King Ray, you deserve this. This is your kingdom. This is your time. This is your world now. You let them know who you are, what you're supposed to. Beware of voices that fuel your ego, that put you above everybody else. And the common marker with all of these things is these voices will rarely, if ever, disagree with you. If you're around people, when you're seeking wise counsel that are constantly just affirming you and agreeing with everything, it's about you. There's something you're afraid of. There's something you're seeking. Because nobody's right that often. The whole invitation is to be sharpened, to become something, to be willing to listen. So you've got to ask, am I willing to listen? Or am I just seeking validation? Beware of voices that fan your fear or fuel your ego. Instead, seek advisors who align with Scripture Seek advisors who align with Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. As you look all throughout Scripture, that is the word, the voice of God that we're called to listen to above everything else. Seek advisors who align with Scripture. Jesus, oftentimes, as He's going through His journey, is constantly doing what? Looking back and quoting Scripture. And pulling it forward. His first, when he goes out into the wilderness and he's tested by Satan, what does he do? How does he rebuke the temptation of Satan? Scripture. Scripture. Seek advisors who align with Scripture are constantly aiming you back and saying, well, in God's word, remember, it says this. If they're not holding up a story about King Ray or Jesus or Paul in Ephesians says it this way. One of the things I used to love, uh, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel. Love Chuck Smith. Uh, Miss that guy. He had a show, radio show in the afternoons called To Every Man an Answer. I'm pretty old. Does anybody remember that with me? Yeah. So good. And here's the thing. Live radio show in the afternoons from 3 to 4. And as a 20-something, I would listen to that show for an hour. And I was fascinated. What kept me coming back? was that people would just call in and ask Chuck these questions. And you know the first thing he'd say? Well, he'd chuckle. He had this, <laughs> well, just gentle spirit about him. And then the next thing he'd do is he'd quote Scripture. He'd find a story out of the Bible. And he'd say, you know, in Philippians, 
It talks about this, and he'd talk about it. You know, when I think of David in the Old Testament, I remember him walking through. He would always grab Scripture, and he would lead with that. To every man an answer, and it was right there in the Bible. Everything you are desperate to know, to understand, the questions that you are wrestling with and facing, it is spoken about, it is addressed in here. And all we're saying is seek advisors who align with Scripture that point you back to God's Word and what it looks like. The second thing, seek advisors who've learned through experience. It seems obvious, but you want to talk to somebody who's been where you're headed or walked through the kind of trial and circumstance and come out on the other side different, better, more redeemed than who God wants them to be. Experience doesn't make you wise. Learning from experience is what makes you wise. So somebody that not just goes through the experience, but can look and go, oh yeah, here's the five things that I learned. Here's the things I learned about God. Here's the things I learned about me. Those are always the two questions I'm asking myself constantly every day. What am I learning about God? What am I learning about me? Seek advisors who've learned through experience. It's when you're going through a marriage issue, and you think this is it, don't go seek advice from somebody who just decided to walk away from a marriage. Go talk to somebody who was desperate in their marriage, maybe even got separated but have come back together because those stories are in this room. They're real. If you don't know how to find them, you email me and I'll take care of it. I'll hook you up with them. Seek advisors from people who've been where you've been. You don't want to get financial advice from, like, the FIFA administrators. But oftentimes, that's the way we think. Seek advisors from people who've been where you're going, not just read the books and know a lot of stuff, but have walked it out. Finally, seek advisors that create peace and not panic. Seek advisors that create peace in your life and not panic that encourage you to act, to move on whatever the issue is, according to Scripture. Even though it may be difficult, they encourage you to act, not because it's easy, but because it's wise. Not because it's right, but because it's wise. Seek advisors that create peace and not panic. It's the great promise that we've been talking about even in this series, right? When you identify with Jesus... When God, when you restore your relationship through Jesus back to God, the, the gift he gives, John 14, he promises is what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he says is peace. The Holy Spirit gives peace. Even in the midst of whatever. That's what makes it startling to follow Jesus. Talk to people that are walking through cancer, walking through homelessness, walking through joblessness, that the world is crumbling around them, and yet they are at peace. The only reason is because of Jesus. Seek advisors that aim you at that, that aren't trying to just rally and rectify whatever circumstances, but are looking at the deep settledness of your soul that God wants to give you, and you can just receive it. Seek advisors that create peace, not panic. It's the gift and promise of the Holy Spirit. Dallas Willard, an amazing theologian. There was a guy who was talking to him, and he said, Get this, I want, Dallas, if you had to describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? 
Think about that. all the things that could go through your mind. An incredible theologian. He just paused and he reflected. And then he said, you know, if I had to describe Jesus in one word, relaxed. Relaxed. And he said, when I look at the sum total of the stories that he lived in, the way that he walked, the way that he talked, the promises that he would give people, the way that he would move at them with a sense of compassion and not judgment, even when circumstances didn't go his way, beating, judgment, abandoned by friends, relaxed. You read his accounts before Pilate and Herod, the judgment, the crucifixion, relaxed. It's because he had peace. It wasn't about his circumstances. It was about who he was. Are you relaxed? Are you relaxed? That's the gift of peace, regardless of circumstances that God wants to give his kids. He wants to give you. He wants to give you wisdom that creates a sense of peace, not panic in your life. The common marker for all of this wisdom, I think the biggest thing is, wise counselors will affirm what God has already said to you. Wise counselors will affirm what God's already said. You go back to that counseling illustration and our frustration, because what do we always want? Just tell me what to do. Make it easy. But what do they do? They ask questions, and they listen. Well, it's the same thing with wise counsel in your life. What did Jesus do? People wanted answers, and what did he do? He asked questions to help aim them back at truth. Wise counselors, advisors in our life, will affirm what God has or is already saying to you. They will shove you at what's wise, and they will shove you at truth just by the questions they ask and the way they lead. One of the big things about this we see is that wisdom's a choice. It's something that has to be sought after. Going back to Proverbs 12, right? Fools try and go it alone, but a wise person pursues wisdom. Not just from God and hearing from Him, but having other people, the community of believers that God gives every single one of us to affirm the truth in our lives. And the beautiful part is, it's not just Solomon anymore that God gives wisdom to. God promises, it is the promise He gives every single one of His kids. Every single follower of Jesus. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and what? It will be given to you. You just ask. He's dying to give you wisdom. He's dying to speak directly to you, and He's dying for you to ask and be a part of a community where you ask for wisdom from one another. That's the way He's going to speak and make it real in your life, that it becomes something bigger than the mystery or the God, I think this is what you're saying. Go ask somebody who's been down that road. If you don't know who they are, they're in this room. They're part of this community. I promise you. And God speaks. He's faithful. I want you to listen to this story of Dave. Dave's part of our Mariner's Church community. Listen to how God spoke to him directly and through other people in his life. 
was the day after the Super Bowl, um, seven and a half years ago, and I was going to babysit my granddaughter. And uh, at this time, I was already drinking uh, throughout the day. I was a full-blown alcoholic, but hiding it, hiding it pretty well. And so I went out to babysit my granddaughter at Camp Pendleton. Uh, I had an empty vodka bottle in the back seat, and there was a full bottle in a bag. The sergeant at the gate smelled alcohol, asked me to pull over, and then the police officer came up and asked if he could, you know, test me, and I said, sure. And uh, I uh, actually was a .19, which went twice over the legal limit, and this was like 7.30 in the morning. And I remember seeing my daughter behind the gate looking at me. So off I went in handcuffs uh, to jail. I was emotionally, spiritually, physically bankrupt uh, the day I was arrested. I found a 12-step uh, group uh, through the grace of God and through the attendance of this fellowship. Uh, I was able to stay sober. You know, I, I knew there was a God. I just didn't know really where to find him. So my, I had a very generic prayer of God grant me peace and serenity and the strength to be of service to others. And that got me through my first three, four years of sobriety. One day, about uh, three and a half years ago, I heard a voice inside me that said, pray for faith. It was that simple, pray for faith. And I began to hear this over and over again every night. So I added, God grant me peace and serenity and strength to be of service to others and grant me faith. And then as I told this story to a, a good friend of mine, one day he showed up with two Bibles. And uh, I began to read the Bible and all of a sudden the word uh, began to just jump out at me and that changed everything. And when I started praying for faith, changes came quick. My friend came with the Bibles quick. My other friend took me to Mariners quickly. My friends would come up and say, you know, you've changed. There's something about you that's different. You're not the same person that you were. If, if God can transform my life, if he can transform my character, if he can open my eyes to the word of God, it's a transformation that uh, I give all credit to God because I did nothing. I don't deserve any of this, but I'll take every day of it. I'll take every day that he gives me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where in your life are you desperate for wisdom? Where in your life maybe has God even been sort of poking at something, saying, you need wisdom here, and you've just sort of held him at arm's length, saying, no, I'm good. Where in your life do you need wisdom today? If you would, just close your eyes as we close. I want you just to reflect, and I want you to listen to God. And we're going to take some time just to respond, let him speak. And I want you just to consider that question. Where in your life are you desperate for wisdom? Father, I believe that you are, that you have been speaking to your children. 
I believe that you're inviting them into profound freedom and healing and restoration, first and foremost with you, God. But also through and with the context of one another. So as you continue to speak, God, and we continue to respond to you, would you help us be courageous and willing in the way that we follow and live this out with you? I want to invite you just to walk this out today if God's speaking to you. As we respond, the sides of the room, there's always these prayer walls. There's people there as part of this community that are always there to pray with you. And I'm going to invite them to come down and come forward and just stand down here. And if there is a specific area in your life where you have been desperate for wisdom, spiritually or emotionally or physically, relationally, I want to invite you to live it out the way God calls us to, which is with one another. They'll just listen to you. They will pray for you. They will help you take your next step when the world feels so confusing and so muddy. So as we sing, as we respond, as we pray, I invite you, if you are desperate for wisdom, to walk in the truth and in the community that God provides and just to pray with one another. Oh, give me 